Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome back into Cougar Tracks here on KSL News Radio and KSLSports.com. Getting to know the Big 12. BYU, it's first year for the Cougars in the Big 12 coming up here in 2023. And we're talking now about one of the athletic departments that is just on fire in the Big 12. That's Kansas State, defending football champions. And also basketball is off to an excellent start. Jerome Tang era at Kansas State. Joined now by John Kurtz, host of the 3 Mob Podcast, part of the KC Sports Network. And, John, uh, it's good times right now for Kansas State. It is. Hey, I, I appreciate you having me on, Mitch. It's, it's been um, an incredible year. I mean, K-State wins their first Big 12 championship in football in, in 10 years, since 2012, when Colin Klein had K-State number one for uh, for a fleeting moment late in the season. Um, but it, it's been awesome. Chris Kleiman has kind of kicked that notion that only Bill Snyder can win at K-State by, by bringing K-State a Big 12 championship. They've had a really nice offseason in the, in the transfer portal as well. And then basketball, yeah, with Jerome Tang, Tied for first in in the Big Twelve right now, and uh, team and one ranked number eleven in the country, way ahead uh, on the rebuild there. In K State appears to have hit uh, a real home run with that hire. So, yeah, it's about as good. K State in 2012-2013, they won the Big Twelve in football, basketball, and baseball. That's about the best year K State's had athletically. But uh, this one is is certainly challenging for one of the best in in my lifetime. At least. And for our listeners out there that probably hearing John. Uh, John obviously has a great YouTube channel as well. you got to check out. He talks all things Big 12, conference realignment, all that stuff, and maybe we'll get to that here shortly. But Kansas State uh, is a is a athletic department, John, that uh, I, I've always kind of from afar always kind of been fascinated by them because BYU and K-State, BYU's first and only New Year's Day football game was against the Wildcats back in 1996. And I've, I feel like there's some similarities, too, between BYU and Kansas State from the fact that maybe a little bit developmental with some recruiting in football, but they exceed their results. Is that kind of the, the identity of Kansas State football, or has it become more uh, recruiting higher-level prospects now with Kleiman? Yeah, um, a little of both. It, it is certainly a higher level now than it has been in a while, and that, that is another part of this, this year that we talk about, you know, that 
has been going so well for K-State. Chris Kleiman has put together by far the best recruiting class K-State's had in a long time. I'd have to go really far back uh, to look up. You know, I mean, Bill Snyder, when he was first getting it going before the advent of recruiting sites being like just crazy and permeating everything, he had some really nice classes that if it were being looked at that closely by the outside world, you know, would probably be pretty high up there because they had a ton of talent when he was around through his first stint. Um, but since then, I mean, Snyder 2.0, as we would call it, his second stint once he came back in, in 2009 from 9 to 18, that was much more, um, you know, kind of just pick some walk-ons, get them developed, uh, and work Snyder's coaching magic as opposed to having a bunch of talent. But K-State now I think has a pretty good mix. I mean, Kleiman's definitely a, a developmental guy. K-State has not gotten away from <clears throat> some of the Bill Snyder identity of doing more with less. But, hey, if you can do that and then be bringing in the number – 30 recruiting class in the country as opposed to the number 60 recruiting class in the country. Now you've got something. And another big thing with client has been culture. He's, I think that's his, his greatest asset is just building a culture where he, it's very player friendly, very player centric, really believed in the guys, uh, gives them a lot of latitude leadership wise. And that's, that's kind of the opposite. Bill Snyder was much more of the old school, like my way or the highway kind of thing. Chris Kleiman is, is a lot different, and they've made a pretty big focus also on making sure they're bringing in high-character guys that can handle uh, some of that freedom. And so I think that's been a huge part of the success. And it, it was not long ago, I mean, years ago in 2020, uh, K-State had a four-win season, and they, they really, really struggled. And Kleiman pointed the finger at, at culture being a, a part of that. And they had a ton of – they had like 13 transfers out into the portal almost immediately after the season. So it was clear what was going on there. They've now fixed that maintain some of the old school Bill Snyder identity, but I think are doing it in a, in a more modern way. So that's kind of worth it with the football program right now. I would say another thing I throw in too is just uh, upgrading the coaching staff a little bit. They made Colin Klein, who I mentioned earlier, he's yeah. now the offensive coordinator. Um, they bumped him up to offensive coordinator for quarterback coach this past offseason when Chris Kleiman fired his, his longtime friend back to his childhood days. He had been friends with Courtney Messingham, who was his offensive coordinator was with him through the national championships at North Dakota State. Um, made a really difficult decision to fire him as the offensive coordinator in the offseason. And lo and behold, not only did it take off on the field, but it took off off the field with Colin Klein bringing in Avery Johnson, who's an elite uh, high school quarterback that is the best K-State landed since they got Josh Freeman. So uh, a lot of good, a lot of good happening as far as that goes. John Kurtz is my guest. You can follow John him Kurtz on Twitter at JL Kurtz. On Twitter, uh, John, what's maybe the the follow up act in twenty twenty three for Kansas State after that amazing Big Twelve championship game? And I know it's early. I mean, we're we're still sitting here as of this recording, waiting on the the Big Twelve schedule. I think both of us maybe got a kick in our step seeing uh, Duarte's report about the the schedule. Then Mohajer's like, Ah, no, I'm s- still no Big Twelve schedule yet. Uh, but maybe what's the follow-up before we see a schedule? Because that's going to determine a lot for teams. What's the the outlook for 2023 for Kansas State? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think everybody is so antsy to see that thing because even even as a, a fan of a school that's been in the league, you don't know, like, is it still going to be the same rotation? Yeah. Are you going to be making road trips to places that you had at home this past year? Or are you going to double up? So, yeah, there's, I think, a lot of antsiness for a lot of people. But I, I would guess that K-State is going to be picked in the top three of the Big 12 next year. I, I did some perusing of way too early top 25s, which, you know, not that that's the be-all in all of everything, but uh, I looked at five or six of them. Uh, it was like K-State and K-State, Texas, uh, and TCU that were the three that you found in pretty much every poll. And then 
little sprinkling in of Texas Tech. You're starting to see them get into some, some top 25s, and I do think they're in a really good position with Joey McGuire right now. Um, and then just a little bit of Oklahoma. But everybody kind of had K-State in the 17 to 19 range. That seemed to be pretty standard. And I think K-State will have a chance to be a, a nine-win type of team next year. The biggest goals are going to come on defense. Um, offensively, I feel great about what they have because Will Howard, um, who came in when Adrian Martinez got hurt this past year, was a revelation. He, Will Howard had to play early on in his career when Skylar Thompson, who's going to start an NFL game this weekend, a playoff game this weekend for the Dolphins. When Skylar Thompson got hurt, Will Howard got thrown into the fire as a true freshman and really struggled during K-State's four-win season. Fans wrote him off, didn't think there was going to be anything to come of him. Everybody had moved on. And he had to come in this year with Adrian Martinez hurt, decided not to transfer, which I think is a huge credit to him. Um, and he was incredible down the stretch for K-State. When he played quarterback this year for K-State, there was not a more efficient scoring offense in the Big 12. In terms of points for drive, Big 12's best was K-State with Will Howard. So you feel great about what you have at quarterback. They landed Treshawn Ward out of the transfer portal, who was one of the most highly sought after running back transfers to replace the outgoing Deuce Vaughn. Um, I think K-State fans are excited about that. DJ Giddens, who's another running back that's returning, uh, was really good in smelling deuce and actually was pretty good against Alabama uh, in the Sugar Bowl, too. Uh, they landed Keegan Johnson, who was a really high-profile receiver from uh, Iowa, who was nearly the Big Ten freshman of the year during his first season in case they beat out Notre Dame and Texas A&M to get him. So uh, they're going to they're gonna retool the offense. And, oh, by the way, the entire starting offensive line decided to come back, even though one, Cooper Beebe, could have been a, probably a second or third-round draft pick. So... The offense is going to be good, but defensively, they lost the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year at defensive end, and I think that's going to be a real question mark for K-State is can they get pressure on the quarterback next year. Um, they have the number one Juco corner uh, coming in to replace Julius Brent, who's going to the NFL. So, got some pieces there. Uh, they're, they're defensive guys. I think Joe Klanderman's a really good defensive coordinator, but that's where the question marks are going to come for them. So, I, I wouldn't predict a repeat of a Big 12 title, but I think K-State should be an eight or a nine-win team and probably a, a back end of the top 25 sort of expectation for next year. John, uh, you've followed the, this Big 12 movement as, as close as anyone, and it's going to be fascinating to see in this new Big 12 who maybe emerges as some of the top uh, programs, uh, you know, to the top you know, consistent annual uh, title contenders. Is there a, maybe a sense of urgency around Kansas State to establish themselves in this new Big 12 as, you know, the top dog or the top program uh, in the new Big 12 when Texas and Oklahoma finally leave? Yeah, I think so. I think I think a lot of places are probably feeling that right now, too. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a power vacuum because you've had – it's not just the fact that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving, but it's, it's the fact that, I mean, Oklahoma the last two years has not won the league suddenly. And it was, I mean, they were doing it every single year there for a decade and a half, or two decades, really, uh, since Bob Stoops took over and almost immediately won a national championship. So, yeah, it's just waiting for somebody to take it over. And we've seen four different teams in the Big 12 championship game the last two years that, that Oklahoma hasn't been there and has not won it. So, uh, yeah, I, the problem is I just don't know. I don't know that anybody is going to step in and be really a you know, I mean, I had started myself that TCU was maybe going to be that school after the run that they had for the national championship game this year. But now you look at obviously what happens to them in the game and then they lose Garrett Riley, their offensive coordinator, Max Duggan, I think surprised some people by deciding to go pro. Um, so they're going to have to make a change. Obviously a quarterback, they're going to lose Quentin Johnston, their star wide receiver. 
So there, there's a lot happening. There's a lot of turnover uh, in Fort Worth, and uh, that'll be really interesting to monitor. I, I do think because they're in the DFW Metroplex, they're going to be really void. They were always recruiting at the third best level in the Big 12 behind Texas and Oklahoma. So if Sonny Dykes really is legit, which the early indications are that he very much is as a head coach, uh, TCU probably has as good a claim as anybody to that opportunity. But I'll even throw in, I mean, look at everything happening in Stillwater right now. They're having a heck of an offseason, and it's not in a good way. Uh, a lot of people leaving. Derek Mason stepping down as defensive coordinator. They just had a transfer running back flip to Minnesota. I mean, it's not good in Stillwater now, and that's been another remarkably consistent program in the league that may be going through some trouble. So the door is going to be wide open, and uh, I think K-State, feels good about where they're at with uh, with Chris Kleiman. I certainly do, and, and everything is trending in the right direction as far as talent acquisition. Um, and, and I think Kleiman's already proven that he can really coach even with a, a pretty meager roster. So K-State should be in contention there, but I just would not be the guy to predict that, that there's really going to be one school. I think you're going to still see it continue to jockey around, you know, kind of like what we've seen the past two years. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. John, I, I've been impressed with Kansas State fans, at least on social media, and then watching games and seeing the crowds at, at basketball games and, and football games. I got a I got a glimpse of Kansas State fans on social media when there was rumblings back last winter when there was the possibility of BYU and Kansas State playing a pop-up game to help NCAA tournament resumes. And I'm thinking, ever since I've enjoyed kind of following all the recruiting and just everything about Kansas State, There, this is a a really passionate fan base, and it almost kind of feels like they embody what the Big 12 is all about, and all these TV networks have been sleeping on, is that, yeah, they might not have the the biggest TV draws, but once you put them in big-time, prime-time spots, they're going to deliver some big ratings because there's some passionate fan bases in this league. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. K-State's fan base is really emblematic of what the, the Big 12 is now with the eight remaining schools, and then Obviously, the newcomers, too, but I think in particular, speaking to the eight schools here that have always felt overlooked, like Texas and Oklahoma, you know, it, people nationally will view it as flyover country and who really cares and, the, you know, this league hasn't been winning national championships. And so, you know, how, how special could these places really be? And I think the assumption is that it's, you know, bad facilities, just mediocre all the way around, and that really couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, K-State has poured in the last decade – uh, hundreds of millions of dollars into athletic facilities and what they've done in the football facility is crazy compared to what it was uh, 10 years ago. And, and you see it all across the Big 12, these big, passionate fan bases that have a chip on their shoulder. That's the thing that you'll really notice about K-State fans uh, at some point or another. If you get crosswise with them, just understand it happens to almost everybody. But um, that, that, that's what it is. And a part of that is not just that, you know, Texas and Oklahoma left and everybody kind of left you for dead. A part of that is, K-State has had a lot of success winning three Big 12 championships, as many as anybody. Uh, Baylor also has three, but K-State and Baylor have as many as anybody not named Oklahoma in the Big 12 right now. And it does not seem like a, a lot of people, you know, if you just ask the common college football fan, would they realize that? I'm not sure that they would. Uh, so I think there's always battling for national respect because of what the league has been through over the last 15 years or so. But also, K-State is, is kind of the – 
to a lot of people. I live in Kansas City, for instance, but in, in, around here, it's sort of the redheaded stepchild to Kansas because of the basketball program. Um, Kansas is the, the big university in the state with a med school and the basketball that's a super nationally relevant program, and you just you have to live with it. It turns into basically the NBA team of Kansas City um, and in the state, really. So um, there's just a lot of like chip on your shoulder fighting for, for respect even within your own state. And so I think that's where a lot of that attitude is, has really been born. But look, it's a, it's a great athletics program all the way around that maximizes, absolutely maximizes uh, the resources that they have. K-State has won more Big 12 championships in basketball since Bill Self showed up at Kansas uh, than anybody else in the league right now, too. So uh, with two here in the, in the last decade that Bruce Weber won. So, look, this team is, is capable of winning the league in both sports. you got a fan base that's super passionate and is going to be vocal and let you know about it and always fighting uh, for respect. So I think that's that's a pretty accurate uh, characterization of, of really what K-State is. For, for BYU fans that might make the, the trip to Manhattan, because I'm sure there will be BYU fans that will travel. They, they travel everywhere. Uh, what will they see on a game day, whether it's football or basketball? Uh, what are some of the great traditions in Kansas State sports? Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful college town. I mean, it really is. And I, I spent a lot of time there. I, I lived there until I was 32. I moved about a year ago. Um, so from the time I was out of college, I was working there covering the team and uh, working with K-State pretty closely. So I, I do know it really, really well. I mean, one thing you'll notice uh, off the bat, I, one thing that comes to mind right now because I'm seeing it all over social media, Jerome Tang, every time K-State wins a basketball game, a home game, will go to the student section and start dancing, doing the Wabash Cannonball with them, which is basically you'll just see – uh, students moving front and back, like rocking back and forth, staggered. So one person's going forward, one person's going back. And you, that's during one of the, you could call it like a uh, pseudo fight song uh, for K-State, the Wabash Cannonball. But you'll definitely see that. Uh, basketball, one of the big things, they'll play Sandstorm, uh, the old like EDM kind of song. Uh, you'd recognize it if you heard it, if you if you aren't aware of it right now. But that happens a lot at, uh, at basketball games, along with a pretty colorful chant uh, with a four-letter word directed at Kansas that usually uh, comes out when that happens, too. Um, but, uh, you know, just really, I, I think the, the football facility, if you go there, you'll be really impressed. I think that's one of the things that would impress people the most about showing up there. Um, if you have not been around, if you just don't realize what K-State has poured into it, it's a, it's a beautiful facility totally have redone the press box with a, bu- a massive press box with uh, a bunch of suites over there on that side. They totally redid uh, the North End Zone, which is the, the football offices and buildings and all of that. They just built a new indoor facility that literally just w- has been completed in the last couple of months. Um, and it, it's cool. you got basketball, football, and baseball. There's also a, almost a brand-new baseball facility a couple years old uh, that's right in the same area. So, it's the whole complex, the whole athletic complex. I think you would be wildly impressed by what's what's actually there in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, I know you mentioned my podcast is, is Three Maw. Well, that's because of Emaw, which is another tradition. You'll hear a lot of people say Emaw, uh, which stands for Every Man a Wildcat. Uh, it's an acronym. So you'll see a lot of people using Emaw. Lots of different forms, uh, noun, verb. It can be uh, very versatile in, uh, in K-State lore. So you'll, you'll see Emaw quite a bit. Um, also got a, I guess this is hard to do over radio. You got a little hand signal. It seems like almost everybody in the Big 12 has a little hand signal, but just imagine making a C with your thumb and first finger and then, uh, the, the three goes straight up behind that. You'll see a lot of that also. Um, man, and if you are in Manhattan, I know this is a lot to, to remember for a long time from now, but, uh, make sure you check out, uh, like Taco Lucha. 
I think is the best place to go grab a, a taco. And another Manhattan tradition that I love and love to advocate for is a Nancy, one of my favorite things in the world, which is just um, take whatever domestic light beer you want. The tradition started in Manhattan that they had a bunch of old Milwaukee to get rid of, which, you know, sounds kind of gross, right? But they started pouring a little bit of pineapple juice into it and created a Nancy and would sell them for like two bucks. And uh, I, I am a big fan, big fan of the Nancy. So go to Taco Lucha, get a Nancy, and get the uh, Chipotle raspberry black bean dip, which is another staple and, and favorite of uh, Manhattan. And if you have a sweet tooth, uh, you know, like Fran Fraschilla will talk a lot on Big 12 Basketball Broadcast about uh, Varsity Donuts. Uh, Varsity Donuts, another great place to go uh, if you want a, a tasty treat in Manhattan. So racking my brain, I think I think that's, that's the list right now that I'm coming up with as far as, like, traditions and things to be aware of in Manhattan. Well, that's good stuff, and and BYU fans they will they will check those places out places out for sure. We, we and last thing before I let you go, John, I, I gotta hit, ask you this because you've weighed in quite a bit over the over the years about Big Twelve realignment. Is your mark going to get it done? Is he going to get? Is he going to get some Pac twelve teams in this league, or do they even need to expand it all and and, and be additive as your mark has consistently said? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, especially on the heels of the news of Kevin Warren leaving the yeah. Big Ten, because I think I think that that almost stabilizes things. Uh, he seemed to be the real driving force between uh, behind Big Ten expansion there, and a lot of the buzz lately have been that the presidents were not as on board with doing this, and maybe didn't want to deliver. They, they didn't have the stomach for for delivering the kill shot to the Pac-12 right now that would be going and grabbing Oregon and Washington. So. I'm leaning more towards no, at least in the in the near to medium term right now. Now that doesn't mean things can't change, and, and one sure. of the big variables there is what what is the Pac-12 TV contract actually going to look like when it happens. George Klyovkov has been really tight-lipped about that, um, and you just hear a lot of rumors. And I don't is in Arizona. I think Arizona would be the the key school that you try and pluck off first if you can, because they seem most willing to leave, most willing to listen. And they also have a very valuable basketball program. And one of the things I think that stands to be hurt the most, if the Pac-12's deal really is predominantly with Amazon as opposed to like ESPN or Fox, more traditional route, is that you'll lose a lot of visibility for basketball. Well, that's what Arizona cares about the most. So they could come to the best basketball conference in the country um, in the Big 12, be getting similar to perhaps a little bit more money, more stability, and not have to deal with an exposure problem. And then once you get one, is Colorado going to fall shortly thereafter? Follow shortly thereafter? A school has obviously already been in this league, and that I think is how you would have to start doing it. But it, it does seem like the longer it goes, I'm slightly less bullish on that actually happening. But Klievkov, I mean, they've already found him to be lying based on what what has been dug up in some emails with with Freedom of Information Act requests about how things have actually happened here. So you just don't know what's actually going on with that Pac-12 TV contract, and that'll be the key. Do, do, are they satisfied, or all the members there satisfied by not, not just the money, but the exposure and the stability that may or may not come with it? I think I think that will be the key. So really long way to answer that question, but for now I'm, I'm leaning no in the, in the short to medium term. But I, I think that's fine, by the way. The Big 12's had uh, a heck of a run the last two years, and I think I think – there, there are greener pastures ahead too. I think the league's going to be in a really good spot. This new twelve-team league is going to be a lot of fun. You can follow him on Twitter at JL Kurtz. He's John Kurtz, host of Three Mod Podcast on the KC Sports Network, part of Blue Wire Pods. John, uh, it was a pleasure talking, and uh, hope to cross paths down the road. Maybe meet up in uh, Manhattan for a BYU K State game if it happens this year, and uh, definitely down the road sometime. Appreciate you hopping on. 
Absolutely. I am. Uh, I will tell you, I'm ecstatic to get out to Provo and check out a game. That That is by far my uh, highest on my list of places that I want to go with the new schools coming in. And I, I do have to throw this in, too. I forgot to earlier. One of my earliest memories, so I was born in 1989. One of my earliest memories as a K-State fan, and I was just brainwashed as a, as a K-State fan as a child, <laughs> was my parents not they, – they went – to the 1996 Cotton Bowl and did not take me, and I was I was furious that I had to stay back with my grandparents and not actually get to go to that game, which was I was like what 19 to 15. It was kind of an awkward score, a little bit of an awkward game with Steve, Steve Sarkeesian at quarterback. Mario Smith had that hit where he just that still gets played on highlight reels at K State. By the way, just a hit that would be totally illegal today. I don't remember the poor kid, McGuire, Kevin McGuire, or something. I don't, I don't remember the receiver. But he just got okay. There you go, McGuire. I was like he's a McGuire. Just got blown up there by Mario Smith, and the next play, BYU scored the the game winning go ahead uh, touchdown. Another thing I think people forget about that. So I got I got a lot of memories uh, of of that game, uh, even some of them fond, even though I was mad at my parents not getting to go. But I'm excited to uh, to get to play uh, get to play BYU again here coming up. I I can uh, I I feel. Uh, a bond, instant bond, right there, because I grew growing up as a kid. I was like seven in 1995 when BYU played Arizona State. I was so sad. Jake Plummer, I wanted to see him. My parents go, and I, I wasn't allowed to go. So uh, I, I can relate to that. Man. There's, there's uh, a so these parents take your kids to these games. It uh, it lasts forever. It'll create strong memories, I guess. I know. I don't understand what the deal is with these parents. You know, they just they just didn't want us to go experience that uh, too early. But hey, I think it all worked out. We we stayed sports fans through it all. I think it worked out okay. It sure did, John. Again, thanks for the time, and uh, we'll talk again down the road. Absolutely, sounds great. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me, and this is the point where I thought. I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.